and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. So, that whole thing about being in awe of God. Um, I find myself in awe of the Lord so often now, and I think it's just more time with Him, right? Because with more time with Him, more time in His Word, comes greater revelation and comes greater awe. And to be awestruck means you're going to share this. You're just, like, amazed, and you want to share it with people because it's so cool. And I think about, like, little kids. I remember, so I have two older brothers, and they're, like, 10, 11 years older than me. And I remember when I was little, I was, like, two or three. And my brother, my oldest brother, Neil, would do this, like, trick where he would take off his thumb, you know? And I was, like, for the first time he did it, I cried because it freaked me out. And then he was, like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I remember him doing it again, and it just being, like, Whoa. I was in awe, and I thought my brother was the only brother who could remove his thumb, and he was so cool. So when friends came over, I'm like, my brother can remove his thumb. Your brother's lame. <laughs> Does not compare, but I want that same sense of wonder now as an adult, as a, as a child of God, right? That same childlike wonder, um, and it comes with his word. Um, yeah, and one of the ways, I'm just going to talk to you guys. We're just going to chit-chat. I just kind of share what the Lord what the Lord's been doing, <laughs> um, and just things that kind of surprised me and put me in awe, and hopefully the revelation will make sense to you guys, and you'll want to share it, and you can, you know, invite someone to church and share it that way, or whatever way suits you, um, but we're going to dive in, jump on in, and we're going to take a look in the OT, the Old Testament. Um, I'm in Bible school right now, and one of the things I'm learning is how to consume the word with an Eastern perspective. Um, okay, shout out to the Eastern perspective. <laughs> and uh, we're part of the Western church, but the word was written with an Eastern context. So for us to really understand it, to really be in awe, we have to look at it from another perspective. And so how do we do that? I'm here to tell you. One of the ways they're teaching us to do that is to find patterns in the word. Um, Find where the same thing kind of happens back and forth and forth and back. And it's this whole thing that's called a chiasm. I'm not going to get too into it, but that's how the Jews and Hebrew text was written. So the, okay, I'll teach you. We're learning. This is a knowledge share. Welcome to my TED talk. Um, (laughs) And so what a, what a chiasm is, since you asked, think of like a poem. You have line A, B, C, D, and then in scripture, you'd have that in scripture, A, B, C, and D, and then the middle, the most important part of the text is where the, the theme repeats. So it would go D, C, B, A. So the important thing isn't necessarily at the front, it's not necessarily at the end, it is in the middle. And the death and resurrection of Christ is, guess what, where? 
in the middle, praise God. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're learning. And another thing, another way we learn to look at things from an Eastern perspective is when you're reading the word, obviously pray that God would open your eyes and give you fresh revelation, but to really take notice of anything that seems weird to you, that seems off to you. Because chances are, if it's off or if it's weird, we're not consuming it in the right way. So let's, let's dig in and get in there and figure out what is the right way. So that's, that's how you do that. So I encourage you, try it out. Um, so yeah, let's start by praying. Lord, give us fresh revelation. Open our eyes to your intention in this text, God. Speak to us. Show us what you want us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... Old Testament. We're going to do that with a a bit of scripture that, I have to be honest, irritated me and still kind of does, um, but I understand it a little bit better now, so it's less irritating. (laughs) And it's one of my favorite stories. Well, it's my least favorite story, but my favorite story to reference now. And it's the story of Jacob and Esau. And they were twin brothers. Esau came out first. Um, They were the children of Isaac. And uh, Esau came out first. Jacob came out after him holding his heel, clenching his heel. And, and it would said that the, the latter would overtake the first. The first would serve the latter, which is really not custom in Jewish culture, especially back then. The oldest person, the firstborn, that's your birthright. You're in charge. You take on the family name. And whoever's second, good luck kind of thing. But not with Jacob and Esau, because Jacob from birth was clinging onto Esau. And him clinging on the heel is how he got his name. And the name Jacob meant supplanter, which means to supersede, to undermine, to override, to replace, to dethrone. He was called that from birth. And so, yeah, so fast forward. They're born, good and fun. Genesis, I said Genesis 2. That was so wrong. We're going to Genesis 25, way down the line. My Bible was just open to two. Silly. That was this morning. Thank you. (laughs) My bad. So Genesis 25, and we're going to pick up at the frustrating part for me, which is verse 27. It says, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. He's a, he's a yee yee boy, if you will. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Soft boy. We love that. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Rebecca's his mom. Isaac, the dad. Just context. It matters. <laughs> Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Anyway, Jacob replied, first... Sell me your birthright. He says, look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. How frustrating to give up your birthright for some bread and some soup. He gave up his, his birthright for a nuke's order. And that always got on my nerves. Anybody else? Like, how hungry were you really? 
Like, truly, did the soup smell that good? Was the bread fresh? Was it crusty? Like, I need to know more. How old were you when this happened? Like, if you were six and you were like, I don't understand birthright, but I know they weren't six because Jacob was over an open flame cooking. What six-year-old cooks, right? Easy bake oven didn't exist then, so he wasn't doing that. And I was just so frustrated. But when I asked the Lord to open my eyes in this text, the frustrating part did not melt away, but the verse 33 just kind of was highlighted. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Swearing then, it it means to confess seven times. Esau didn't just say, yeah, 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 you can have the birthright, whatever. Let me eat my soup. I thought that's what he said. That's not what he said. He's come in from the country. He's famished. He's on the brink of death. And Jacob is saying, sell me your birthright, I swear. 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 Sell me your birthright. And Esau says, I swear. Have you been pressured seven times to do anything? Have you given your oath? Have you sworn to something that you weren't supposed to? Have you given a bit of your birthright away? We live in a culture where we use this phrase all the time. I use it all the time, and we say talk is cheap. Talk is only cheap if we cheapen it. But the word says that there is power of life and death in the tongue. So dare I say that the word, words, what you say is one of the most powerful things that we have. But we cheapen it. And some of you were not, aren't asked seven times, you're asked once. And you say, I swear. You're not asked two times. You say, I swear. We need to be people who are in wonder of God, so aware of what he says about us, so aware of our birthright, so aware of our calling that we don't give it up so easily, that we don't cheapen what God has bestowed upon us. Some of you are in this room sitting on gifts and talents, not activating them, not stepping into them. Why? Because of fear? because someone pressured you, because someone said something over you so many times that you gave up. By the grace of God, we, we get do-overs. We get second chances, third chances, 100 chances. And tonight is your chance to rise up and reclaim what is yours. Use your word to take back what the enemy has stolen from you. What you have promised hell Take it back. It is yours, and moreover, it is God's. And it is too precious for us to just give away. Now, that might be a little intense, and you're probably sitting here like, what what do I do? Okay, some of you are like, I got it in my mind. Lord, I take it back. You robbed the grave, so I'm robbing it right now, and I'm taking back my calling. Amen, hallelujah. But for those of you who are struggling to take back what is yours, to take back the promise, to take back your birthright, let me encourage you real quick. 
Okay, so we're going to turn ahead to Genesis 28, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 9. Okay, you might be sitting here thinking you're an Esau, and some of you are sitting in here like a Jacob, like, I got it. Jacob was crafty, right, because his namesake was that to dethrone and to undermine. Um, and sometimes that makes Jacob look like a villain. But it's, it's a skill set that he was born with, to, to think of ways to get what he, what he wanted, um, but what he was ultimately called to. And I don't want to villainize Jacob because, I mean, he's a father of our faith, right? And he's, he's up there. He's a big dog. Um, so no disrespect, Jacob, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to Jacob and Isaac down the line, um, Jacob tricks Jacob and Esau. Jacob tricks Esau again. And similar to him taking his birthright, he takes his blessing. Um, their dad was on their deathbed. And when a father dies in this culture, he has to bless his children with what's to come. And blessing is very, very important. And parents who are in the room, fathers who are in the room, if you have not blessed your children, I suggest you do that. Because there's a part of us, a part of our spirit, and a part of our soul that longs for it. Um, And if you are in this place and you do not have a father, find a spiritual father who will guide you and who can bless you. A spiritual mother who can guide you and who can bless you and, you know, just claim those things over you, proclaim those things over you. Side note. Um, So yeah, Jacob did it again. Stole Esau's blessing. It was a really crafty trick. He like taped hair on his body, glued it on so that he would feel fuzzy like Esau, which is like so gross to me. Ew. And um, it works because his dad's like at the end and he's just like, you sound like my other son, but you feel like Esau. So yeah, here you go. And Jacob gets the the big blessing, let's say. And Esau still gets blessed, but we'll pick up chapter 28, verses 6, verse 6 through 9. Now Esau learned that Jacob had blessed, that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Penan Aram, Aram, to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to this place, Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, Mahalath, Lady M, the sister and the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham. And I think this is so significant because we are learning that Esau, who becomes like the second son, marries into the family of Ishmael marries into that direct line of Ishmael, which is his uncle. And for those of you who don't know, Isaac and Ishmael, one was like the permissive will, like was just born basically out of sin, and that's Ishmael, and Isaac was the one that God gave. He's marrying into a line of permissiveness. He's given away his blessing, and he's carrying on this legacy, right? And you're like, okay, this is not sounding good, Hillary. (laughs) I just want to give some context. So Esau marries into that line, but the name Ishmael means God hears. And I like to think that that wasn't by mistake, that after Esau feels forsaken, he feels took, he feels swindled, he feels like he got got, 
he marries into a line that says, God hears. His father-in-law is someone that will speak to him for years to come to say, God hears. And so under this covering, the God hears covering, eventually restoration comes. God restores. And in Genesis 33, flip a couple more pages. And this is a lot of flipping. Are we having fun? Praise the Lord. (laughs) Thanks, Madison. You know how to make a girl feel special. (laughs) So this would be verse 33. So Jacob has since gotten married. So has Esau. They've lived totally separate lives because Jacob was like, I took your, your, your birthright, I took your blessing, and Esau was like, I'm going to kill you, literally. Um, so he fled. He ran away, right? Wouldn't you? Because um, it also says his brother was big and scary, and if a big man's running after me, catch me running. You know what I'm saying? Different state, different name. And there, <laughs> I mean, where's the lie? <laughs> Witness protection all the way, full send. Um... <laughs> And so there comes a point where, where Jacob is staying. He has to leave again because he made his father-in-law mad um, because he did what he did. And he found kind of like a loophole and took a lot of the inheritance away from his father-in-law. Again, Jacob, not a villain, just really crafty. And so he comes to a point where he has to go back to his family. He's told by God to go back to your family, which means he has to go back to Esau. So he's freaking out. And he makes a plan to split up his camp so that if Esau encounters one of them, at least he doesn't lose everything. He might lose only like half, um, which is like wild because that's like his children. (laughs) He's like, "Mm, some of you might be okay. The other half, good luck. I do love you. But, you know, he's mad. He's big mad. And verse 33, Jacob meets Esau. So Jacob looked up, and there was Esau, coming with his 400 men. Terrifying. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two, two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. If you jump down to verse 10, basically Jacob is like, I want to bless you. And he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. Jacob was persistent, and Esau accepted. Where did we see that before? With the soup. But now a work's been done in Jacob, a work has been done in Esau, and instead of using that for bad, it's used for good. He bowed down seven times. To bless someone is to bow down seven times to the person that he was running from, to the person that he took from. And Esau comes in with open arms and kisses him in the cheek. 
And the word, the root word for kiss in this context, it means to repair. It was healing. It was restorative. And the gift that he got was plenty. It was like the inheritance that he should have had in the first place. So not only did God restore their relationship, he restored belongings. He restored provision. He worked on their hearts. If you are in a place where you're mad because someone has something that you are supposed to have, maybe someone got a job over you, maybe you're dealing with jealousy and all your friends around you are getting married and you're stuck, single, ready to mingle, but ain't nobody else ready. (laughs) That's real, right? Do not look at those things with contempt. Look at it as a promise that will be fulfilled because God hears. He hears you even when you make a mistake. He hears you even when you cheapen the things that he's given you. And it's not too late to turn around and repair. I think we need to repair. And I think the best way to do that is by changing what we say and learning not to swear. (laughs) Because in Matthew, we have a scripture, it's Matthew 5, verses 33 through 7. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Why? Because our words are not cheap. Because our talk is not cheap. And what the Lord has promised us and granted us is not cheap. We have to step into what God has for us. And we need to let go of hurt by seeing other people move ahead while we may feel like we're behind. You are not behind if you're in the will of God. Amen. And there's two places, there are a lot of places that you could be, but two places that we talk about in my friend group and in my life group all the time is the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. Permissive is Esau. You're still blessed and you're still taken care of, but it's not perfect. Permissive is is Ishmael. It was not his fault that he was born the way that he was. In fact, his dad said, what about my other son? And the Lord said that he will be blessed and made into a great nation as well. Because even though he was not perfect, even though he was born out of stress and emotionalism and just wanting to get to the goal, he was still blessed. But what is so much better is the perfect will of God, where things just flow. That's where we need to be as individuals. That's where we need to be as a church. 
And the only way we can get there is intimacy with God to know what is permissive and what is perfect. I've been asking the Lord big time just for more discernment. And I I just want to know the difference between okay and good and God. And I want to, amen, and I want to use, have discernment to use my words well. And specifically, this is kind of like a rabbit trail, but specifically when we call things great, and like, I want this to be great, oh, this is so great. The Lord has dealt with me because in the beginning in Genesis, the word that God used was good. And I realized great is an earthly measure, and I want heavenly measure. I want good, and I want to be good. I don't want to be great. Great is done in my own strength. Great is my own glory. I want to be good, because good is taking on the characteristics of God. Good is falling into his will and into his plan. Good is living life on bended knee. I want all of us to be good. And we can only do that by spending time with him. We can only do that by devouring his word in such a way that it brings revelation. There shouldn't be a time that we're in this that we don't understand, not that we don't understand, but that it's not awakening a part of us because God is speaking to us through this. And... We said this before, I said it earlier, God is doing such a thing on this earth. I want to be part of it. Not for glory, because all of that belongs to God. But how amazing to see him raise the dead. How amazing to see sickness flee. How amazing to see his loving kindness lavished on someone. How incredible. But I can't do that while I'm cursing things. I don't get to see that living a double life. I don't get to see that while trying to be great. I can only get to see that if I'm good. And not that it's about works. Please hear me now. It's not about being perfect. It's not about, you know, getting as many great things done, as many brownie points as you can. It's not about that. It's about nearness. And, I, and it says, we read in that psalm earlier, that when you spend time with God, his glory is on your face. Glory on my face we get to have access to that. But we have to be good. We have to be willing to press in. We have to be willing to to dig a little deeper. Even if we don't understand, let's not settle for things we don't understand. Let's press in, because God gave you a wonderful mind to understand him. He does not cause confusion. He did not want you to be confused reading his word. He didn't want you being confused reading his promise. I think that's why we have so many translations of this text, so that there's something for someone everywhere. 
Are you willing to jump into good? Are you willing to to really use the power of your words and walk in authority? Are you willing to pursue the perfect will of God, not just the permissive? If you are, jump in tonight. We're going to worship again, and the team's up here. Take time to press in. If you feel like there's something that's holding you back, if you feel like you've given some part of you away, take right now to take those things back with the authority that comes from heaven. Take now to step into light and let God's glory be on your face. I was talking to someone before service tonight, and I saw her, and I was like, you are glowing. And this person, she is a woman of God. Call it a holy glow. I want a holy glow. And I know we get into this environment, and it's easy to jump. It's easy to come to the altar for some. It's easy to praise and feel the music, feel the drums like swelling in and you're like, yes, this is it. But the minute you walk out, you have your shame face back on. That holy glow should not wear off because God doesn't run out. But you have to step into holiness my homework for you this week since we're in the Bible school lane would be to try to find ways try to not ways and don't even try just do find ways to get with God so that his glory is on your face all week and see how people treat you differently people who are short with you or who are normally rude to you, when there's glory on your face, see how they look at you. They might be ruder because there are haters out there. <laughs> but your, your glow, that holy glow, deflects that hate. Jesus was hated, but he still did what he needed to do. He still walked in love and in kindness, and in patience. That's our portion. And if you don't know how to get that holy glow, it's what we do here. Worship God. And really worship him. Don't just confess some words that someone else has written. Let the lyrics of your favorite worship song set into your soul and declare it over your day and over your week and over your family. Get into your word because it is sitting and waiting for you, waiting to speak to you. Get in there. One of my favorite translations of the Bible is the message translation because it's literally written how we speak today. There's no shame in that. If that's where you need to start, if that's where you love to be, if that's where you love to land, be in the word. Find a translation that speaks to you so that you can communicate with God clearer than ever before. And 
best of all, if you want to, to maintain that holy glow, spend time in prayer. And that's not just you talking to God. It's you listening and waiting for him. Clear your mind of the worries of the day. Clear your mind of every stress. And just sit at his feet and watch that all of your needs will be met. There might be a bowl of soup waiting for you at the end of your Jesus time. But not one that you have to trade, one that you can just partake in. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to encourage you guys to just posture yourselves in a way that allows you to to hear God and receive from heaven. For some of you, that's kneeling. For some of you, that's your arms stretched out, hands high. For some of you, it's your eyes closed. But it's important that we posture ourselves. Jacob, when he saw Esau, and he wanted to apologize, he postured himself seven times. And when Esau accepted Jacob, he postured himself. Posture yourself before the Lord and let him move. So God, right now we come to you. We posture ourselves before you and we say, have your way. Search our hearts, O God, and just show us any way that we have made what you've given us cheap. Show us how we've forsaken what you've given us, Lord, and, and just highlight the times that we've sworn, the times we've made an oath with the things of darkness when you've contended for us to, to, to align ourselves with the kingdom of light. Give us the boldness to take back what belongs to the kingdom of heaven, to take back our calling, take back our purpose, take back our children, take back our siblings, take back our parents, take back our friends, God. Take back what belongs to heaven. God, would you open ears and open hearts so that we can clearly hear you Speak to us, God. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen.